Episode 19 of Destination Tokyo, 10 minutes of Olympic and Paralympic talk with some great stories from athletes hoping to be in Tokyo. But today, a little different. The rules are coming out that will set out how officials, the media and athletes will be expected to behave during their time in Tokyo. The media's is just out and they're all looking pretty similar to be honest. No going to restaurants and bars, no using public transport without permission. Big reductions in press areas at events. Uh, you've got to have a negative test a couple of days or so before your flight out and limits on the first 14 days in the country. Well, my guest today is Andy Stevenson, a BBC Radio and Channel 4 reporter. Andy also has some pretty frank views on this week's report, which shows a dramatic drop in disabled people exercising over the last year. But first, to Tokyo. Yes, I'm smiling here because I'm thinking of it from the, the journalist's point of view, as I'm sure you would be too. And that sentence where it said, you are not to go to any bars, restaurants, uh you know, traveling around town, visiting places, you read that and you think, oh, <laughs> because, you know, that that is part and parcel of it. As anybody attending an Olympic Games or a big sporting event as part of the media, you are looking forward to seeing the city and sampling the culture and bringing that then to your viewers or your readers or your or your listeners. So, you know, listen, I think any of us who are still lucky enough to get out to Tokyo, there is no doubt that it's not going to be anything like the experience we might have had uh, were things um, ordinary. Uh, but of course, we have a responsibility to still bring the games to people back at home, whichever country you are you are in. And we have a responsibility to bring the, the spirit and the excitement and, you know, what an incredible achievement it will be to get the games on. And of course, things like not being able to go touring around Tokyo and going to these lovely restaurants and places like that, you know, people listening will go, oh, boo-hoo, you know, but it is a very small thing in amongst a much bigger picture of if the Olympics and Paralympics happen this year, it will be uh, an incredible thing for the whole world. Yes, I guess from an athlete point of view, you definitely enjoy going to other events if you can. That's part of the experience, but that might not happen. But I suspect in reality, a lot of time is actually spent in the village. Yes, I think I think the only athletes who maybe get the opportunity to to sample the host city are the ones whose whose competition finishes very early or they perhaps only have one. Uh, one event there are a lot of athletes from all the different countries but particularly great britain who are multi-eventers and would be competing right the way through the the two weeks and as you say they'll either be in their venue or they'll be training somewhere or they'll be in the village so actually their experience might not be hugely different although of course we do wait to see about things like medal ceremonies whether they're going to happen as normal what kind of crowds are going to be in the in the in the venues those are the things i think that will matter to the athletes i think they will all accept uh being you know in inverted commas locked away in the village if if some of those other elements of an olympics or paralympics are are still there to make the experience as as fulfilling as it can possibly be one thing that's come across in these programs is that the Olympians and Paralympians see a responsibility, not just, you know, to try and win medals for the country, but actually see themselves as people who are role models, who can get other people into sport and other people into activity. There's news this week from the Activity Alliance that during the coronavirus period, there's been a fairly dramatic drop off in the numbers of disabled people taking part in activity and active sport. 
and I, I think there's so much work has been put in over the last few years to sort of equalise the numbers that that must be disappointing and must be concerning. Yes, I mean, I can take my journalist hat off here and just talk to you as a disabled person myself because I, I saw the Activity Alliance survey. The, the sentence that stood out to me was twice as many disabled people felt that coronavirus greatly reduced their ability to do sport or physical activity compared to non-disabled people. So that touches on, of course, that every single person in the country has had their opportunity to play sport reduced. Of course, that's clear. But twice as many disabled people f felt that. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. And I can kind of touch on my own life and my own experience. I think one is that a certain number of disabled people will require a lot of extra support in order to do their sport or physical activity. And that, I think what I'm getting at there is that they would require other people to help them, which, of course, in times of coronavirus is more difficult. I think some disabled people will have to travel further than the average person to get to where they can play their activity because of, uh, you know, adaptions to the, the leisure centre or they have specialist equipment for them to use to play their sport. And those those kind of things aren't in every sports facility in the country. So you, you, you quite often hear that disabled people have to travel further or spend more money in order to do their sport. And I think, I mean, one, this touches on a wider problem because the coronavirus has, has, has made this situation worse. But I think even outside of pandemic times, there is a huge issue with disabled people feeling anxious about declaring that they take part in sports or physical activity because of the knock-on effect it can have to things like your disability benefit or your access to a motability car. I had a situation myself a couple of years ago, people will have heard of, of the personal independence payment or PIP, which is essentially disability benefit, the new name for disability benefit. And it's one of these... <laughs> It's one of these, ter I mean, I laugh about it now, but at the time it was agonising. It's one of these terrible things where these forms have a lot of tick boxes and they have a lot of um, very sort of arbitrary questions like how far can you walk unaided or how far can you walk uh, without getting out of breath? And I'm sat there looking at this form and disabled people listening will, will um, know exactly what I'm talking about here, where I can't walk very far. And I, and I actually wear an artificial leg. And at one point in this pit process, they, dis, they said that I could walk unaided. And I said, no, no, I walk with an artificial leg. Are you telling me that an artificial leg is not an aid? But the wider problem I had was, I felt if I said on this form, I play golf, they'd be like, well, that proves you can walk a long way. And therefore, we're going to take your benefit away. And actually, when you sit and look at it, and if you talk to me as an individual rather than just you know, a disabled person filling out a form, you would, you would quickly discover that in some ways golf is the absolute ideal sport for me to play because either I can use a golf buggy and I don't have to walk anywhere or I walk, but it's in very short bursts. It's very short when you see how far I hit the ball. It's hit the ball, walk to your ball, have a bit of a pause, wait for your partner to play, have a rest, hit the next shot, another short walk, etc., etc. It's not running a marathon. It is not, you know, doing a, a, a 10K walk. But there was no room for, for that kind of nuance on the form. So I, I know there are a lot of disabled people out there who worry about 
being seen as somebody who takes part in sport or, or who even keeps fit because they're worried that if you know the authorities discover this they're going to have their benefits taken away and um yeah i think the wider issue still is that i think the vast majority of people still think there are lots of disabled people playing the system and and getting benefits that they should and that's just not that is just not right you know that leads to the newspaper headlines you see occasionally where it says you know disability benefit fraud seen playing tennis or something and you think so you know if as in just because they can play tennis doesn't mean to say they don't deserve their disability benefit that game of tennis might might make them tired for a week the idea that a disabled person may well have had to just stay pretty housebound and haven't been able to get out and do occasional walks or their occasional you know i don't know games of golf or whatever it is 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 yeah it's really upsetting and worrying and they're all the sort of things that i suppose the paralympic movement has been about and that people celebrate and why people love paralympians and love to watch the paralympics so you've opened up a real big hole of politics <laughs> there andy yeah it's the, it's the today program all of a sudden isn't it but um no, I th and I think I have to say as well, there are there are people connected to the Paralympics who are who are doing great great work in this area. Um, Ali Jawad, uh, the powerlifter, for example, today. exactly. Mm -hmm. Ali is is doing great things in trying to get this app out there that that improves disabled people's access to things like gyms. Uh, you know, you might have seen me tweet the other day. My my colleague and, and friend Ella Beaumont has been doing has been doing workouts specifically aimed at wheelchair users right the way through the pandemic for nearly a year now, putting videos out on YouTube and things. And those those things just build on top of each other to a point where I think um, real change is around the corner. And hopefully, when when the virus goes away, uh, the likes of Ali and Ella can can just keep on doing brilliant stuff and, and get even more recognition for it. And I think that's why it'd be great to see the Paralympics happening this year, because it's a massive political statement, isn't it? It's out there and um, there's nothing better than than seeing sport in action, I think, really, to answer that, that point that you're making. Yeah, we talked last time. I think one of the things that keeps going around in my head is I've heard that, you know, disabled people or Paralympians specifically are very resilient people. And what better way of showing that resilience than getting the Paralympics on? I think that will feel like quite a strong theme um, as and when the Paralympics start. So, yes, everything crossed, everything crossed. <laughs> very good. Look, great to talk to you again. Um, sorry you won't be able to visit your bars and restaurants should you make it to Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm sure there is some great sport. That's going to be held against me. And see you soon, Andy. Thanks very much, Mark. Cheers. And with thanks to Andy, that's it for today and this week. I'll be back again on Monday. But in the meantime, please check out the back numbers. This is episode 19, so there are 18 others that are worth listening to. And also, I'm making these podcasts to try and raise money for Maggie's Cancer Centres. It's a great charity, and if you want to donate, just two or three pounds will be absolutely fine. If you can spare that at all, then you can find details by going to justgiving.co.uk and search Destination Tokyo or search here in the show notes. So until next time, thanks for listening again and bye-bye. <laughs>